This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of wonder. Welcome to CT Startup. Welcome to CT Startup. This is our inaugural issues podcast where we're going to be bringing you expert speakers from around the state to discuss the issues at hand uh, that affect small businesses, startups, early stage growth companies in Connecticut. I'm here today with Chris and Eric and our guest, Jim Strange, who is a long-term Connecticut resident and small business owner in the state. Um, he works on customized uh, manufacturing products, sort of retrofitting high-end uh, manufactured products and machine tools. Um, but we're actually not going to talk about his business. He's here to discuss uh, his opinions. He's, he's seen decades <laughs> of <laughs> the impacts of Connecticut legislature, policies, uh, you know, pilot programs, etc., and has been a uh, studious observer of the impacts they've had with small businesses. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. All right. You make me sound very old. Yeah, I, oh, whoa. He's not. He's spry. Listen, I, I just tur- I'm turning 31 and I feel old, so, you know. No, oh, right. yeah, yeah. The chirps right there. Um, so, um, so, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, that I'm kind of happy to start doing the, these uh, podcasts about the issues because, um, you know, now that, like, $15 uh, an hour uh, wage, you know, minimum wage, the tolls, um, that stuff that, like, is actually starting to really impact my day-to-day uh life um you know just uh for trifecta uh there'll be days that i go from meriden to enfield right um then from enfield to new britain and then new britain to bridgeport right that that could be one day of of going to see clients and some of the stuff so i mean that's again i didn't look at the the actual report yet but you know that that's dollars out of my my business's pocket um and the 15 dollar hour wage um that's just an interesting one that's that's one where um we don't necessarily have anybody at, min- at minimum wage right now, um, so it, it's something that may not impact us, but like it does, it, like it will. I mean, it it, it will impact us. Um, we're just trying to figure out how it will. But right. so well, let's so take let's yeah, take tolls yeah. on first. I mean, <laughs> the Hartford Current yesterday published one of the most detailed articles I've seen yet that describe which roads the way in which it would be collected and estimating the per trip toll load that you can expect as a driver in Connecticut. What are your thoughts, Jim, on the whole tolls extravaganza? Well, the other states that have tolls have not been able to collect a lot of the money. A lot of out-of-state people don't pay. In fact, I think the current had an article recently that um, the majority of people not paying in Massachusetts are from Connecticut. So <laughs> take that, Massachusetts. Yeah, I, was just, I was actually just thinking about that as you're talking about that because I, I I didn't think about it like you know unpaid tolls. I just went to uh, Mass and was on the Pike a couple times in the past month. I was like, did I get that bill yet? Did I pay it yet? I don't, I don't know. But it's what it's like three or four dollars, you know, right? Yeah. But. Well, in Connecticut, we eliminated the tolls and then raised the gas tax, so there's a hundred percent collection rate. 
And to me, that's the way to do it if you need to raise money for roads or transportation. So raise the federal gas tax, eliminate all state tolls, and then share the money among the states. You could have a gantry recording out-of-state people coming into Connecticut. We charge New York State for those guys. They charge us for Connecticut people in New York. And eliminate all tolls altogether. Yeah, it bounces out, right? Like if it yeah. from a state to state. So, are you saying you think it would be better to raise the gas tax versus tolls? Raise the federal gas tax, mm-hmm. eliminate all state tax, collect the uh, tolls at the pump. So, okay. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna argue, because you know I'm a big green car guy. I like electric cars. I like hybrids. How you know car, cars are getting more and more efficient, and it's it's just going to keep going that way. You know, now we have automakers that are rolling out electric cars and major automakers are rolling out 300 mile electric cars. So, you know, knowing that that is, you know, five, 10 years away where electric cars are going to really start being out there at mass. How do, how do we, you know, raise the gas tax and then still get these people to pay? Well, they pay already when they recharge their cars. Those are all metered. Mm -hmm. Electricity is metered just like gasoline is. But if you plug in your home, you're not, you're not paying. You'll, be, you'll be paying a tax on your electric supply. I'll okay. You so you're saying you would. Ta- so then you would have to tax the electric supply though too. Then. Right. Exactly. So we're just kind of shifting to where the taxes are like being collected. You're just shifting the fuel. Right. Really, the fuel tax. But if it's collected on a federal level and shared among the states, which the federal gas tax is now, it's much more efficient than having to mail out bills to out-of-state people. Try to collect tolls all across the country. You know, it's no, and I, I think that's, I think <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense, right? Unfortunately, what they haven't raised the gas tax on the federal level since '93 or something yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's about 25 years since they've raised. It's the ridiculous. Federal. It's, yeah, it's it like, is. oh no, there's no way we need to do that. Why would we have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so is your is your, so this is uh, with tolls. Is it more about the collect? Like you're you're okay with collecting more money to do the necessary road work, but just how we're going to collect it because they want to do it through tolls, but you want to do it through a tax. Like is that the primary concern for you, or is like do you also think like because I know I've talked to some people where if we're going to collect that money, it has to be for tra- roads and transportation. It cannot go to a general fund. It can't go anywhere. If you lock it, I'll start thinking about it. Right. So. Hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay. It should be dedicated to transportation. Yep. And it doesn't matter how that money comes in, basically. Is that kind well, of your thinking? Or? Yeah, it does. And I, I just think that the federal gas tax is a more efficient way to do it. And the tax at the pump, mm-hmm. you have a 100% collection rate. Otherwise, you have to do like Massachusetts. You set up a whole new bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. They have to send out bills. Massachusetts pays Connecticut a dollar for every license plate that they investigate of Connecticut people who haven't paid, Connecticut drivers. Really? Yeah. Because I'm, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm sitting here over here feeling like a chump because I have uh, an easy pass and I use it. I'm, I pay the tolls. They want my, like, I'm not trying to, like, get around it. Like, and now I kind of feel like a chump. <laughs> no, I actually go into the cash only lane every time I go into Matt. Into, well, and, not, well, now you can't, home. right? No, there's no more cash. There's, no more, oh, there's see, nothing. It's all electronic tolling. I need to get out of my billing, house yeah. more often. New York State has lost $90 million on the Henry Hudson Bridge. Over a five-year period of people not paying the tolls, isn't ninety it, million dollars. And isn't it owned yeah. by like which toll is owned by like a Chinese company or like the the tolls or something? Because I thought I thought I read that somewhere. I'm gonna have to fact check that one. But Billy, can you be, fact check that for us? <laughs> is there a toll because rate because well that, that goes to the private side because we were talking before is that I heard that some of the some of the money to uh, put up the tolls and everything would be used with private money, and then some of the money would be paid back. But again, I don't know if that was in the the Hartford Current. 
So I've heard of that being used to like for the infrastructure of it. But yeah, they do that in Virginia. Okay. Yet yeah. another cut out of the whole extravaganza. Well, you know, uh, why did we skip past taxing at the pump, whether it's you know electricity or gas? Why didn't we pursue fuel taxes? Are you talking about the federal level or on the? Well, I, I don't. Know that, I mean, I'm going to hit the pause button on federal because I think okay. I think that's confused me from the beginning of this. I mean, you know, obviously we need state level taxes, but but Connecticut does assess a state level tax. Oh yeah, gas, we, right? we, we're the oh, only yeah. state that it taxes. Does. We right. tax gas twice. Yes. We tax it on the wholesale <laughs> and at the retail right, level. Correct. Right. So why didn't we just increase the state gas tax? Did I miss that debate? No, the problem with increasing the the gas tax just in Connecticut is that uh, a lot of people drive through this mm -hmm. little state without ever paying. You can go to Mass and pay oh, like right. 20, 30 cents less per gallon. Yeah. If you got a 10, 20, you know, that's, that's real money you're saving. And we're such a small state. Yeah. You, you could just you, you just, just cruise through. on through. Back to my what I was saying before, efficient cars. You could cruise on through on, you know, a, a gas, half a tank of gas on almost any car. Right. Yeah, that's okay. why I think it has to be done at the federal level. Well, because we, you know, the, the federal gas tax is shared among the states now. In fact, Connecticut in the past few years got more than we put into it. So, but what could we do? What could we do on the state level, though? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I have zero hope of the federal gas tax ever going up anytime soon. You know, we have we have a, a tax adverse uh, administration, you know, like them, hate them, whatever, you know, they're not, they're not going to be the ones to propose that. So, and yeah. even, even if we had a more liberal administration, raising the gas tax on a federal level is all, essentially political suicide. So, well, the only answer on the state level is reciprocal agreements with the neighboring states. Okay. That's the only way you're going to collect from out of state drivers or the right. best way to increase your collection. But it's still going to take more bureaucracy, mailing out bills, and, you know, Another inefficient way to do it. So I, I was thinking about this toll thing, right? I'm, I'm generally pro-toll. That said, we were also discussing, you know, talking about putting 50-something gantries every six miles, and they're going to be on I-95, 91, 84, and, and the, the Merit. Mer and the Merit. So we're going to – the four largest highways, right? And you know, I don't love the idea that every six miles we're going to have a gantry. I, you know, I feel like it would be – I would rather pay a dollar – Every 12 miles, you know, it would double it up. I, I, it just seems like a lot of, you know, you're talking about bureaucracy, right? I don't love bureaucracy. And I don't, you know, if you have 50 gantries, that's 50 gantries that got to be taken care of. Now, they're not doing a lot. There's not a lot of wear and tear on them. But that's, they don't have 50 gantries on uh, 90 in Massachusetts. And we're almost the same size state. So it does seem a little. Yeah, but they don't have entries and exits on 90 the way we do here. True. The, the, you know, the distance was captured to try to get the on and off. Um, so, and, you know, I'm assuming they had some complicated industrial engineering <laughs> algorithm that tried to understand what the, what the, what the optimum spacing is. So <laughs> let's not try to outthink them right here in our, in our studio. But, but that aside, you know, they're anticipating that for an average, say, 14 to 15-mile trip on the interstates, it's going to cost about $1.80 to $2, um, you know, each way. Uh, so for a typical long commute in Connecticut, which is around 20 miles, um, you can anticipate roughly $2 each way. And there'll be discounts if you have the transponder mm -hmm. and discounts if you're an everyday. We don't know what the discounts are. We don't really understand it. And certainly the tolls will go up over time. So, you know, you just think about it as a $2 trip. Um, you know, that's quite a tax on, on commuting. And I think it will, you know, become real for people that that's the new normal um, without removing any of the gas taxes that were earlier assessed for the same purposes. 
Um, you know, that is the place we're headed right now. That is the status quo that if it continues on will be enacted by the legislature. In that world, are you, Jim, are you happy or unhappy with the way it, it, it will end up? Well, I think we have to pay for the roads, and we have to pay for the maintenance, and it's not getting done, so I don't think we have any choice. Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, uh, there's also this secondary effect that taxes have, which is reducing congestion. Hopefully, knock on wood, right? We have very small highways and a lot of people on them. And, you know, 84, I'm looking at it right now, it's literally moving three times as many people per day as it was ever designed to. And it's, you know, it's 11 o'clock in the morning and there's congestion. There's, like, why? Why is there congestion? There shouldn't, there's nothing happening right now. There's not a baseball game. I think it's more of like the, the – I heard an economics podcast talk about this and about how people are actually getting more civil when they're driving. They get into lines further and further out, and you have to plug the inefficiencies going into like the, the on-ramps and everything like that because mm. going to 84, people start backing it up, and if you go to the left-hand side Ugh. and you go up, it's free. You know, yeah. so that is that is actually like they did on economics podcast where it is you you are doing the economically and moral thing by cutting people off, getting I, the well, okay. So that, that, makes that me is feel that better. okay. So we're all in those boats, I think. We're all like, yeah, I do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will have to say, I'll, I'll point out. Yesterday, I had to go down to Bridgeport from Meriden to Bridgeport at five o'clock. Uh, literally, I left Meriden at four fifty. Right, I got down there with basically no traffic. Except getting on to 95, that one little road between he, there and Marshall, right? That one part, it was basically, a fr you know, and then I came back on the Merit, same thing. So I get, like, there's times where, especially the Merit, you can get backed up for hours, right? One, I've seen in the past two months, two trucks, right, that get oh, backed up and the whole the thing, right? But at the grand scheme of things, we're not no L.A. We're not, like, we're not, like, our, our commutes are not so bad that people, like, so when people complain about it, I don't know, I don't see it that bad. But, I don't know. I do. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, you know, it, it, the reason it's so bad is because you don't have an alternative. You know what I mean? Like if I, if, if I need to go somewhere, if I need to go to Stanford and there is traffic, my only other alternative is to hop on the train, which takes almost as long, maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at least on the train, I can drink legally. Um, you know, so there's that option. But really, you know, I, I see tolls as also perhaps forcing Connecticut to make more public mm -hmm. transportation options. You know, we have the busway, and I don't love how many empty buses I see, but also at peak times, they are packed. There is standing room only. And so, you know, personally, again, I'm, I like public transportation. I would like to see a little more efficiencies in it. I don't like seeing empty buses driving by my house all the time. But on the other hand, maybe we just need to have two buses at each peak pickup time instead of, you know, a bunch of empty ones spread out through the day. You know, so I would like to see more public options kind of yeah. like – Toll's kind of forcing that hand in a sense. Yeah. I don't know if we're set up to generate that kind of revenue from this, but it clearly, I mean, you know, Connecticut is too congested to not have more mass transit options. All right, let's move on to another issue, and I think Eric's teed it up already, the $15 an hour <laughs> minimum wage. Uh, where are we? Someone chime in with where we are in the legislative process for that. I actually don't know, so I don't know where we are. I know it's just like one of those, the one of the topics that they're like, this is going to happen kind of a thing. So tolls and 15 are the ones that I feel like they're standing behind saying that's going to happen. We're not going to let those ones up. Um, but I don't know. where. Do you know where it is? Uh? No, I don't. So I do know that low-wage people are going to uh, need the higher 
minimum wage to be able to pay for the toll to get to work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. Very, very astute yeah. assessment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, so there, there, you know, I've been listening to uh, a couple of folks from Seattle talk about the longer term impacts of the $15 an hour wage in that state mm-hmm. in city. Um, and uh, two things. Uh, generally speaking, the studies that have been published there, and you know, I'm not going to cite the names of the studies, but you can Google them, um, indicate that there have been a positive economic uh, outcome overall, macroeconomics, to the city of Seattle from the $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, they have seen at the low end average household incomes and weekly paychecks grow, uh, and they saw an increase, low single digit increase in the percent of people who worked in the service industry, restaurant industry jobs in Seattle. So the big counter effect that was supposedly forecast, which is, you know, restaurants will stop hiring workers at $15 an hour, didn't happen. Now, part of that is that Seattle is facing tailwinds in this regard. They have growth. They have very strong economic growth. They have a population increase in their city. They have an average household income increase among that population. It's very highly paid work. Workers. So you can argue that the baseline for their service industry was growth anyway, and so they achieved low single-digit growth, about 2% increase in restaurant and service industry jobs. Would they have had four otherwise? I don't know. Connecticut's not in that space. We're not seeing growth um, among uh, the number of people employed. <laughs> the number of people employed in the state continues to drop, sadly, and uh, high-income jobs are dropping fastest. So in that backdrop, does the $15 an hour minimum wage still stand? Uh, and, it's, and it's an open question. I mean, obviously, I'm for it. If you looked at the minimum wage uh, when it was first enacted in the early, we'll, we'll go back to the early 1970s when it was around $4.17 an hour. If you, re, uh, if you put that into real terms today in nominal dollars, um, it would be $23 an hour. So the minimum wage were allowed to grow with inflation, you know, indexed back to the early 1970s, it would be $23 an hour today. If you looked at minimum wage workers for an annual salary and you looked at uh, all the different fringe benefits, including overtime pay, that minimum wage workers used to have back in the 70s, because remember, overtime pay has largely been curtailed. If you look at their average household wages and you corrected for that today, meaning you gave them back their overtime, you gave them back their 40-hour work weeks, mm-hmm. and you pay them at minimum wage, those workers would be making $76,000 a year today. Which, which is that, that number that you just need to be happy at, right? Well, right, exactly. <laughs> it's like right. if you make that, like everything right. else is okay. Right. You know? so, in, so in every way, we have crapified the lives of service sector workers. We've removed economic incentives for them to work harder, longer hours and to grow their wages as a household um, mm-hmm. through good, honest work. We've said no, no overtime. You know, we, you know, we, we won't pay you these, you know, the minimum wage that keeps up with inflation. And to me, you know, we're long, long overdue for a reset for this. Long overdue. Well, it's happening right now with the stop and shop workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to get paid the extra money for the Sunday employment. They're trying to reduce that. It's and and they just you know I have friends who work at Stop and Shop, and just over the summer Stop and Shop was like we made two billion dollars in quarterly profit or something. It's like one of the most quarter profitable quarters ever, 
And then, you know, they come back to the negotiating table and like, yeah, no more raises for three years and also no overtime right. on Sunday. And it's like, and they, really? Yeah, and they're a Dutch holding company. Yeah, well, they claim oh, yes. most of those profits came from Europe and not the United States, but who knows? Yes, but the, their own laws in, in, in the Netherlands would not allow them to cut the wages of the workers in the United States. They're taking advantage of the United States. They're treating yeah. us like a third world country, Oof. and we've done that Oof. to ourselves. Yes. So, so I guess another thing too is that um, so w thinking about this for us, right? For at Trifecta, um, again, we don't really we have a few people may maybe um, that that would be affected by this, but we're it kind of makes us think is that um, can we move them to a salaried position instead of an hourly? All right, because when you're an hourly person, you are trading time for you know you're you're trading time basically. You're you're doing the math. How many hours do I have to be here? to get this amount of money. Now, I've noticed that people who are salaried, and, and I would say that the younger generation, the people that are gonna be potentially affected um, you know, by this are the ones that are be very passionate about this. Um, they they want to have more meaning in their jobs anyways. They want to have more we you know kind of flexibility in that. So one of the things that we're trying to think about is that can we give them a base salary that they can do that same kind of work, give them a little bit more autonomy. If we're, we go on the assumption of get the job done versus I don't care if it takes this time amount or that time, get the job done. Um, does that uh, th does that open up for a different type of a, a, a working kind of a wage where that's your base and then if you do other stuff on the side and you do other jobs and you pick up other work, it's, it's on you. So that's the one thing that it's prompted us to think about is that keep everybody at salary then. All right, you're at salary. Instead of hourly. So, so no overtime. But, uh, you know, it, the idea there, though, is that you anticipate the job to be done in 40 hours or less a week, right? You, you know, not, not the typical, I'll make you an assistant manager, and <laughs> no, I don't have to pay you overtime. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was interesting last night. Like, that, everybody saw that plane hit, right? Everybody saw the, the plane hit. Well, the power went out at my uh, facility. So we were there till 1130 last night, and I had to call people in and everything. So now hourly, I have to think about, okay, that the person, people that came in, okay, well, okay, now you're not going to work tomorrow then. Right. Yeah. Or that time, like if their salary, then they just get their job done and I can be like, OK. And also, I will have to say is that we give uh, we give unlimited vacation. We can't give too, so many perks as a as a uh, as a small business. The the healthcare, right? Like uh, healthcare is very expensive for us. So um, that that's another thing is like that. We if you get the job done, go take the day off. I don't care. Yeah. So, so. I, I, I have just, you know. I also am employing people, but I, I don't like salary. I have kind of like an ethical issue with salary. Really? Yes, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Like my mother basically runs this guy's insurance brokerage, and she hasn't gotten a raise in 10 years. In 10 years. And she basically runs this guy's company, and she's stuck on salary. And at first she was putting in 60 hours a week running this guy's company. Now she's basically – what she tells me, she's like, I made my own raise by cutting back how much she puts time in. So she cares a hell of a lot less about this guy's company because he – He's meanwhile going out and buying a new Range Rover every three years. Like it's not like he's hiding his wealth. But how does that make as a boss? How does that make you as a boss? You have the ability to affect it. So I as understand. A, I understand mm -hmm. as an employee. Mm -hmm. So this is. I had a big discussion at a bus at the kind of, uh, CCSU Business School uh, meeting about drones and decision makers. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of empo employees that want to put in their nine to five, get paid an amount of money, and that's be it. We're talking now as a boss. Salary can be used differently than than an employee. Employee, I get you're saying is that you can be locked in there and you get locked into a lifestyle and you have to work here. I have more friends like that on Wall Street and in bigger firms that they are addicted to that money that they or UTC. Mm -hmm. I have so many people that work at UTC that are miserable, but they love the money. Well, but, but what I would say is I, I 
grew up working manual labor jobs. I grew up working hourly labor jobs. And I personally, I feel like here's an hour of my time. You give me money. And the, the reason why I have a problem with salary is the benefit to the employee are outweighed by the abusive potential for the employer. That's so how I look at it. You're looking for a, a system of incentives. I, like to, I want to incentivize yeah. my employees. Okay. I want people yeah. to feel like, you know, again, like for the salary, like, honestly, I would have told you to go pound sand if you told me to come in at 11 o'clock at night. Get the <laughs> hell out of here. I'm not coming in. You don't own my life. Like, no. Like, honestly, like, I... I that's that's interesting. Even if it's in your duty, like, so, like, yes, as a, yeah, My life, if I don't want to work, is, I shouldn't have is, to work. That is, that is, that it's is not, an incredible, that is an incredible work ethic. I that, work, <laughs> I work till consider, 4 o'clock no, last Considering, week. considering yeah. I know how much you work. That right. is an incredible work ethic, considering I know that you, again, would but work all night. But it's not my employee's company. It's my company. I should be working harder than them. If I ask them to come in and they say no, that's on them. You're not getting paid for the time you don't come in. But And again, it's just – I'm not saying you're a bad boss by doing that. But personally, I am a mercenary. I look at money and I'm saying I will trade you my hour for X amount of dollars. And I, that incentivizes me. And I try to incentivize my employees the same way. And I also don't – I feel just like a little more comfortable with the idea that there's not that – instrument for potential of abuse, right? Because again, all of a sudden, like I have a huge project and I need people to start working 60 hours a week and I'm paying them salary. I can give them a bonus. That's my onus. But I'm also like, they don't have that guarantee. I can be like, sorry, I didn't make enough money. It's in my pocket, but I can't share it with you. So that's just my two cents. And back to the whole minimum wage thing, right? I am, I think $15 an hour is a good medium because it's also going to, so we had asked where it is, right? They're pushing this forward. Tolls and minimum wage, they're pushing this forward. Those are the two big items on the agenda, but it's going to be, it's not just going to go from 10 to $15. It's staged. I think it's over three years. Yeah. It goes to, you know, 12, 13, 50, and then $15 or something yeah. in that range. And again, going back to this whole idea about being an ethical business owner, if you can't pay your people, a, it doesn't have to be even a necessary living wage, right? It's minimum wage. It's minimum I can legally pay you. It doesn't even necessarily, you, don't, you shouldn't have a two-bedroom apartment on minimum wage, right, to yourself. But on the other hand, the more money that's out there and circulating, especially in the working class, there's more money for them to spend. That's right. And, you know, it's just it's good business to pay people more so they can spend money with you. That's, that's, right. it that's dri- how I feel. It, it definitely seems to drive economic growth. Um, and, you know, and, and I think there's a, there's a morality to there's a morality to this. And somewhere around the, you know, the moral floor is $15 an hour. I just, I mean, try to find a, a, a babysitter, a dog walker, uh, you know, for, for less than $15 an hour. I mean, that passed $20, you know, years ago. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that, you know, we need to step it up. And Connecticut feels like the kind of place who would do it. Um, all right. We are going to have to wrap up this issues podcast, but we will be back with Jim and the crew to talk more about the issues around Connecticut and maybe we'll have more dissenting voices in the future because I think we'd sort of guarantee we sort of agreed with everything we had to say this time around and I, I know argued. there's oh that's true <laughs> I, I, I because there's actually many areas in which we disagree so yes. we'll get into those next time yes we will thank you for listening to CT Startup more Connecticut startup news information and events can be found at ctstartup.com The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. We would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalina 
for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.